Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 368, coming to you on Wednesday. May 27th, USC football is back. Well, sort of. Not really. Maybe. Things are looking like the college football season is going to be coming back this fall. We're going to talk about it and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansire.com and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second What's Burn Show. I'm your co-host, Mike Castillo, joined along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back after another one-week hiatus. Uh, we did not want to go another week without an episode. Uh, last week just was like a cluster F of a million different things that... Uh, took away from us being able to record. Yeah, I, I I feel like there's just always some sort of technology problem or scheduling problem or life thing that gets in the way of, of us recording these days, which is funny because you'd think it would be easier for us to record being that we're quarantined together. Whereas like in the past when we were having to record on different time zones and across a desert and all that kind of stuff, like now we're having all the issues with recording, which is ridiculous but hopefully we get back into the swing of things this week and uh and stay put put like let's put a streak together michael let's put a streak together of consecutive weeks that we actually pot 
Are we going to make this like major league? Win one game, win two two games. If you win a third, that's called a winning streak. Exactly. Or a potting streak, I guess, in this case. Yes. Well, a pod winning streak, All as right. it were. We, we we can we can try to do it, uh, and try going into June, uh, June, July, August, the three months potentially leading into the college football season. Um, before we get into any news, uh, sad news to discuss, uh, the passing of uh, Chris Dufresne from uh, longtime LA Times columnist, college football writer, basically my one of my entry points into college football, uh, an incredible writer. He passed away, and it's it's hard to fathom this. I mean, we we would see him in the press box all the time. Um, I looked up to him and revered him so much. I was, I was too shy to ever say hi. And now I, now I feel bad about that. Christopher is one of those guys who like, I know, I, I think, I suspect your experience was very similar to mine that when you're, you're growing up and you're a sports fan, you're, you're reading the, the sports section of the LA times. Absolutely. And Christopher was just one of those guys that was, you were always reading Christopher stuff because he was in the sports section of the LA times. And then when you get to the point where you and I are at and you like start to see these people as like, oh, they're actual like real life humans who you can like see in a press box. It's kind of bizarre and, and uh, into, like you said, it's intimidating. So, yeah, I never <laughs> introduced myself to Chris Dufresne, but like I followed him on Twitter and he was just like a fixture of my life for so long. It's weird to wake up and all of a sudden he's gone. And you, I, I just how strange of an idea it is to process a world where we're not seeing work from Chris Dufresne, where we're not hearing from him. It's just yeah. really, really sad. And, and obviously we are, uh, are you know, thinking of his family through this incredibly difficult time for them. But like, man, for sports fans in LA, like that one just hit you in the gut this morning. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know the, the details or anything like that. And there was a tweet going around of one of the last things that he posted, uh, which was an article that he he had written about: Is he ever going to be in a press box again because of the coronavirus and uh, him at his age and kind of that that kind of stuff? And and that just kind of takes you back and, and give, gives you a, a bad bad feeling in your stomach having to to see that uh, so recent. Um, but yeah, Chris was one of those writers who defined what college football was for me as a kid. Uh, my dad would read every single thing that he wrote and would use them sort of as conversation starters for for me and, and to, to talk with me about college football. I remember he did a series probably two decades ago about who, who's a program and who's not a program, meaning like who's a blue blood and who's not a blue blood. And that thing has just stuck with me forever um, to the point where my dad now refers to teams as whether or not they're a programmer or not, um, is whether or not Chris Dufresne would call them a program or not. So it, it's it's weird. It, it's we're we're entering a gonna enter a weird season uh, with no Chris Dufresne thoughts on the college football season. Not going to be fun. Yeah, always always sad when those kinds of figures. Pass on, and uh, yeah, Chris Dufresne was definitely one of those. 
I mean, if you if you go on Twitter, uh, if you were on Twitter at any point on Tuesday, you see all of the many, many more, um, you know, uh, personal reflections from people who knew him, and you hear nothing but good things. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sad news in the world of sports and college football, especially in Southern California. We're going to take a quick break to avoid that awkward transition talking about other things. So we'll be right back. It looks like we will finally have college football this year. Maybe. Sort of. Kind of feeling that way. Uh, not anything, nothing's guaranteed at this point in the year of our core, 2020, but things are certainly pointing that way. Uh, last week, California Governor Gavin Newsom said that things were progressing to the point where he could see sports beginning on June 1st without fans. The NCAA also said June 1st was part of a timeline for getting activities back underway. Universities already been announcing that students will be on campus, at least in some form. The UC system announced that last week. Utah did on Tuesday, for example. Uh, and then the Pac-12 comes in on Tuesday and says that they're, they have approved in-person workouts beginning on June 15th. Programs can bring players back to campus, assuming that their localities allow it. And there was a statement from USC Athletic Director Mike Bone, quote, Today's announcement by the Pac-12 Conference, coupled with last week's vote by the NCAA Division I Council, paved the way for USC Athletics to begin a phased return to campus for in-person, voluntary workouts in the weeks ahead, Bone said. Quote, In preparation for these next steps, we have been working tirelessly to develop an athletics health and safety plan in coordination with university leadership, the Pac-12 Conference's COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee, and state and local public health guidelines, with reopening processes beginning in states all around the country, today's vote is another positive indicator of our progress towards the start of our football and other fall sports seasons. As this is a rapidly evolving situation, it is imperative that we move forward responsibly with the utmost care for the health and safety of everyone connected to our program, while remaining in alignment with the university's comprehensive project restart effort. Alicia, this is all good news. Yeah, as I've been uh, as I've been saying, the closer we get to a an on time start for fall camp, the closer I am to buying the idea of football coming back this year in mostly a uh, an uninterrupted fashion. So the the June 15th idea for the Pac-12, uh, coupled with the city of Los Angeles seeming to indicate, um, I believe retail stores are all opening up uh, th- this week or later on this week. So uh, we're moving through the steps, that uh, the stages, I guess they're, they're called. And every time we get closer to those things, it just brings that little bit more hope. June is a good time. Um, if we were... If we were about to hit July and we were just starting to have these conversations, I would be a little bit more skeptical about being able to start fall camp, you know, at the the last week of, of July, which is really what USC needs. And the Pac-12 schools have all really said they need that six week period to get ready for the season. Well, if you're able to start acclimating players back to campus, 
in the middle of June, then we're talking about a timeline that really does fit the idea of start, starting fall camp on time. So only good news on that front. Um, and really, it does seem like everyone's starting to come together. The thing I appreciate the most is that, like, finally, someone's putting out an actual, like, real life, you can sort of hold on to it kind of plan for how this is all going to this is all going to go down. Yeah, I mean, th- these situations have been so fluid um, that we haven't necessarily gotten hardened plans in terms of dates and and whatnot. The NHL just put out their plan for returning to uh, a or how they're going to complete the the year in hockey, and all of it is around. Oh, we don't know exactly when we'll start, and uh, we don't know where we'll play. Uh, but this is what we plan to do, um, and that's frustrating. So. Anything that's that's close to having a plan with dates is refreshing right now because it's not always easy to get there. Well, and that's the thing is you do have to be understanding of where everyone's coming from. You can't put a date on something that you're 50-50 on whether or not you're going to break that date. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I totally understand. And like Mike Bone was quite vague in his statement, but certainly they're indicating that they would like to get started now, get the ball rolling, and the Pac-12 saying June 15th is the, the target date that I, I think you can aim for. And if USC is right on target with this, then all the better. But if we're starting to see USC bringing players back onto campus the week after the 15th or at the start of July, I think it's still a a step in the right direction. Um, the Pac-12, to their credit, and, you know, I've I've paid fairly you know decent attention to other, um, other conferences and like, but I haven't seen a plan that's as detailed as the Pac-12 for what are the policies and regulations that they're going to require from each of their schools in order to follow this this the lead of the NCAA allowing people to come back on on campus? And I actually really appreciate what what the Pac-12 done has done here. And I, I kind of want to go. It's a little bit lengthy because there's a lot to cover, so I'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. But and you can chime in here, Michael, as as you hear things if if they stand out to you as smart or not smart. But um, the first stage is basically the return to campus where players have to be symptom free and can't have had contact with people who are infected um, for at least 14 days, which seems reasonable. And then anyone who's coming back via airplane should, in theory, be quarantined or isolated for seven days. So if you have players coming back home from, you know, Florida or from Texas or wherever, then you'd like to see them spend a week not in contact with the team, which I think is smart. Because air travel is um, a concern, the, the 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 circumstances around air travel, um, when they are gonna then open up athletics facilities, this is getting getting players back on campus, then to let the players back into athletic facilities, um, again everyone needs to be fever free, symptom free, um, and then they also need to basically set up a health education system where everyone is on the same page, so players, uh, athletes will be. Uh, educated about, okay, these are the standards that we expect from you. These are the hygiene standards we expect from you. These are the distancing standards we expect from you. These are the new, this is the the new normal that's going to be happening in our, our athletic facilities. So that's sort of stage two of getting, of getting them back into the athletic facilities. Um, they also want the universities to set up a, a system for contact tracing, which I think is a really good idea um, for players in the, on the team contact tracing i wonder how far they're going to take that between the the players and their families like is it a is it too much to sort of be monitoring the contact tracing of of a player's family or am i taking that too far 
I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna matter what the situation is. But if, if tell- these kids are on campus. How much are they going to be in contact with their families anyway? Well, and that's my other question is, are they going to just keep them on? Like, because if I was USC, if I was a Pac-12 school, that's what I'd do. I'd I say like you have to, you're going to right? come back to campus and it's going to be like you're in camp, which is to say you're in camp. You're you're in you're you're sort of in our little bubble and you can contact your, your families via, you know, FaceTime or whatever. But you got to stay here and you can't really venture out too far. And if you do, you need to be smart about it. That would be sort of the policy making that I would that I would set up for sure. Um, the Pac-12 is also laying out uh, expectations for um, symptom and temperature checks in in order for admit admittance into any athletic facility, which I think is a good idea. Um, and then obviously have strategies for incle- increased cleaning in weight rooms. They're going to encourage small group workouts and a schedule to minimize crowding and maintain distancing. They also want to set up. Uh, an apparatus, you know, uh, the ability for everyone to have um, cleaning between, you know, on, on each weight station, I suppose, between each person using it, they'd want to have it cleaned down, which I think is also reasonable. Um, locker rooms, basically, they're trying to ward off the idea of teams taking advantage of, of locker rooms, that what basically they want to say is, come ready to work out in your workout clothes and head home and then shower at home, um, which is would certainly be a change for, for some of those guys. But Seems reasonable enough to me. Um, the dining rooms would be to-go only, which makes sense, and prepackaged food only, which also makes sense. Uh, the big thing is returning to exercise. So this is now we're talking about workouts and practices. Uh, players have to undergo daily symptoms and temperature tests, which is interesting because uh, one of the things that we sort of expected was, and this is in the in the early discussion, we heard a lot about that they want testing. Um, like the official like laboratory testing and stuff like that. But the Pac-12 isn't necessarily making that a requirement for returning to athletics uh, stuff. It, it, they're really talking about symptom and, and temperature testing. So I wonder how effective that'll be. But at the very least, they're, they're going to do daily testing on that front. Um, they're also going to uh, basically classify lower risk situations that the athletes will be in, uh, basically like weight rooms and conditioning workouts and other group activities. So long as you have small, they call them functional units, which I would imagine to be like, you have a team of 100 football players, like you're going to break that team down into your unit squad, right? So your corners are going to work out together and they're only going to work out with each other. Your linemen are going to work out together and they're only going to work out with each other. And you're going to have those, those units that are sort of self-isolated within the broader group of the team. At least that's how I interpret it, which, again, I think is smart. Yeah, and that should only help build camaraderie and uh, chemistry and those kind of things with your teammates, too, especially the ones that are closest to you on the team that you need to function with on a uh, per-play basis kind of thing, right? Yeah, for sure. The interesting thing will be, you know, how... Are they going to handle, if we're talking about, like, practice, player-run practices or anything like that, how are they going to handle, like, the ball transitioning between a quarterback and a wide receiver? Or are those going to be technically in the same unit that they're monitoring? I think like, you just, you, at some point, there's a you're point just where you can't go that far, that right? Bridge, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and this is reading through a lot of this. I, I was looking at it going, like, this is all very smart, but I wonder how stringent people will be about some of these things because... Um, one of the things that they're, that, that, that is uh, throughout these, these policies is players wearing face coverings at all times, everyone wearing face coverings at all times. 
Um, and then also maintaining social distancing, which is to say, you know, six feet between you and anybody else. Well, you're going to try your best in theory to social distance. But at the same time, you and I have been to grocery stores. We're supposed to be social distancing at grocery stores. And it's just not necessarily viable all the time. And also, it doesn't feel like the kind of thing where if you're passing somebody in a, in an aisle, you're just you're going to end up passing somebody in an aisle, right? Like, that kind of thing, I wonder how much that's just going to get shrugged off as, well, you know, this is a reality of, of life. Yeah, I, I have said it before. I think I'm less concerned about being close in proximity to someone. I'm more concerned about surfaces and touching things um, because that kind of lasts a little bit longer, too. Well, the other thing. Um, but I, I think with the ball, for instance, if you're if you're super worried about it, have a manager who, after every play, gets it and wipes it down with uh, Clorox, Clorox wipes, yeah. wipe, right? Like, yeah. Or, well, or, for instance, um, everyone's wearing gloves, and you just tell, you instruct people not to touch their eyes and, and that kind of thing, and you sanitize, you know, multiple times during the um, the practice. Because at some point, if you, you can only play the game if the ball is traveling between players. Right. So at some point, well, it's going to need to be a hurdle that you just have to accept. This isn't hockey where, you know, everyone's touching it with the stick and they're like three feet away from the puck. Yeah, well, so and that's why I think this last thing is the most important thing for getting this all started, particularly because you are dealing with a a uh, a group of individuals that are generally going to be lower risk as far as their um, their health concerns with regard to COVID-19. If you're keeping them on campus and keeping them away from their families where there might be higher risk people, whether they're parents or grandparents or, you know, anybody else in their sphere who might have uh, underlying health conditions, if they're not in contact with those people and you're keeping them in like this camp situation, I think this like then you don't have to worry so much about the social distancing so long as you stick to the final point, which I think, like I said, is is the big one, what to do if someone is infected or suspected of being infected. So. The process for this would be anyone who develops symptoms, um, A, everyone's going to be developed, uh, uh, monitored, obviously, temperature checks every day, symptom checks every day. Um, if someone develops symptoms, then they have to be uh, quarantined, basically immediately shuffled off into their own space and kept there uh, until the symptoms abate. And uh, the process for, for getting them back into the herd, essentially, is they have to be symptom-free for 72 hours. It has to have been 10 days since the onset of their symptoms, or they have to be symptom-free and have two negative COVID-19 tests that are 24 hours apart. At that point, then they can come back and join, rejoin team activities. Um, anybody who had low-risk contact with that individual, i.e. anybody who was involved in a... Um, maybe Maybe a corner gets it, um, but they weren't necessarily practicing like they, they've been generally socially distant, distanced from an offensive lineman. The offensive linemen then get monitored as, you know, extra closely, but they can continue on with their activities. I think everybody in the cornerback room, uh, in, in the corner room might, who's had um, direct, close, quote-unquote, high-risk contact with that with that individual then has to go into quarantine for five days. And they have to get tested on day three and tested on day five and come back with uh, with negative tests 
on those days, or they have to be quarantined for 14 days if they can't get testing. Now, if you're in a situation where you can't get testing and you have to quarantine your players for 14 days, you probably shouldn't be back on campus, would be what I would say. Yeah, I can't imagine that that SC won't have access to testing. Yeah, but what's interesting to me is, like, now let's talk this out. So we just said, well, you could do this these groups, these smaller groups by units. But now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's not a smart idea because then you have to quarantine all of your corners for five days and then practice without corners for five days. Like, yeah, but I, I think that, I think that, you know, this step, uh, you have all the other steps to hope that you don't get to this step. Yes. Also, I, I think it depends on what you call low risk and high risk. Um, like this says, participated in face-to-face or, or, or contact drills. Um, so that's saying that if you're a corner, it's the receivers, right? And if yeah. you're the receivers, it's the corners. Um, and and vice versa. I think that's a little bit different um, than being someone who is just in the same room. But who knows? I, I think that the interpretations of what ends up being low and high risk, I think, are going to evolve as we go. Even if they're they're throwing in some you know, guidelines for what this is now, I think that that could potentially... Am I speaking out of turn there by saying that? It just seems to me that low and high risk are a little bit open to interpretation. But Well, and that's why I'd kind of... I would love to pick Mike Bone or, or Clay Helton or the assistant coaches like Brains about... the Like, they won't be able to tell us this kind of thing, but like the specifics of, well, what strategies to go along with these policies do you have? Like, have you talked about, is it better to have guys in units or is it better to split the team up into um, almost like teams where you have uh, practice teams that can conduct a, a smallish practice with that, with a bunch of guys from different units? Like, is there value in that? Like, I think this, and this is the the thing about this whole situation. Everyone knows this whole situation sucks. Like, Figuring this all out, no, everyone would rather not have to be going through this. We would all rather have college football going, uh, you know, co- coming forward towards us in the normal way that it normally would be, where we would be done with spring camp by now and talking about recruiting and getting, you know, geared up for this, that, or the other thing. But that's not the situation we're in now, and I'm, I, I think that one of the interesting things we're going to be able to note this whole season is who got creative. And who figured out how to do this best? And, right. you know, did USC not approach this right the way that Stanford approached this right? Or or did USC end up approaching this way better than Oregon? And that's why USC has the edge over Oregon this year. Like, I think there's a lot of areas where we're going to see what each staff and what each program can bring to the table. Because like you said, the interpretations of all these are not necessarily black and white. And the way that you apply them is not always black and white. Not to mention that I don't know that that anyone's completely prepared for this. Uh, Experts are going to weigh in. Every staff has their own set of experts, right? Uh, Oregon has always been notorious for hiring a bunch of um, sports analytics and um, sports science people, right? And Clay Helton talks about how he wants to do a lot of that and always listening to sports science and whatnot. That stuff is going to help, absolutely. But everyone's going to have their own interpretation of what sports science to to focus on, right? Like, like it's not like there's only one interpretation of any of this stuff. Um, I I think that you know talking about how do you how do you divide groups? I I don't think you can overthink it. 
Because if you if you go by teams, and we're talking like you want to keep your first team and your second team together, okay, so then what if you have an outbreak on the first team? Then, then yeah. You're, you're like, I, I think it gets like, very complicated. <laughs> like, I, I don't think you can overthink it, because no matter what, if you have a little bit of an outbreak on the team, and four or five players go down, uh, and that affects, you know, 10 to 15 players just by, you know, all the monitoring and the contact that you have to go, that's what you have to deal with. Uh, no matter where it is, uh, you're going you're gonna to have to deal with that. And, and that's why you have all those other procedures in place before to get to that point. Um, and then you talk about these things where it talks about, you know, uh, testing and, and, you know, if you have two negative tests, uh, 24 hours apart and whatnot. Well, if testing advances in the next couple of months, which you have to think that it will at some point, I don't think, um, I don't, I don't want to predict where the testing goes. I'm certainly not an expert to speak about it, but if it gets to a point where they're able to test things quicker or they're able to test things with, with, you know, more accuracy on a repetitive basis, well, if- then, you know, there's, these things can change where the dream is what, what becomes low risk and high risk changes and what becomes um, the, the guideline for keeping people out three to five days changes. If you're immediately able to tell, okay, they don't have anything uh, after four days or whatever it is. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think everything's going to come down to, to access to things like testing and access to things like, um, you know, face mask and and hygiene and everything to prevent the, the the spreading of this thing to get in that place in the first place. The the nice thing is that for the first time we actually have like you and I have been talking since this thing practically started about how like I would just like to know what level of testing like wh- when you all say that yeah. you need to like okay so tell me what that threshold is tell me what what numbers are you looking at. Uh, that that'll trigger for you when this thing can can go on or or has to continue or or you know do we need to stay shut down or we need to open back up when can we start sports back all that the vague answers have been you know well we need to just be able to test and it's like well okay I don't I don't know what that means what I like about this is none of these policies while we can talk sit here and talk about well how will these policies get played out none of these policies are shrug like we'll see what happens like there right. you can actually see how this plays out obviously there may be tweaks things may change i mean if they can get rapid testing like the flu test where they get it instantly like that's a game changer absolute game changer for all sports but uh for for now i feel more confident than ever that they're going to be able to get players back on campus and that they're going to be confident that they can have a system in place and a process in place to make sure that they do so in in as safe a manner as possible yeah and you're writing this process right now knowing what we know in may um, based on the evidence we have in May, based on the knowledge that we have in May, all these kind of things, right? Two and, weeks in is, is a long time in, in COVID. Yeah, land. and everything can change by then. Um, every And you have to write a policy that's going to be flexible to all 12 members in all, what, seven states or whatever it is that, that the Pac-12 is, is it in five? Uh, Ca- uh, California, Oregon, Washington, wait, Arizona, Utah, Colorado. Uh, how many is that? Six. Six. Okay. Six states, right? Uh, every, every, every school might have different, um, you know, ability levels to do different things in, in terms of testing and whatnot, but you need to create a policy that works for everything. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's going to be potentially 
um, loopholes or pitfalls or, or things that have to change. Um, that's that's what happens when you write um, a piece of legislation, if you want to call it that, for uh, something that's open ended. So we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens from this going forward. It's a good place for the Pac-12 to be in going forward. Uh, talking about tests, talking about how to get things back in order, uh, and it's not just they're gonna return back to normal and we're just gonna pray for the best because that's that's not doing enough. This is this is college football. Um, a lot of money is on the line for 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 schools. Um, the health is absolutely on the line the for worst. everybody involved, uh, especially for coaches who tend to be older, right? Coaches and families but and the, all that that's stuff. The, the it's worst just thing, not just the students. The worst thing that could happen is programs opening back up for player-run practices in June and having a massive outbreak on their team. Sure. And, and then you'd have to shut back down and start from scratch. Like, And that could still happen. It like, could, it, but it could still you want to mitigate that. You want to mitigate that, and, and you do And I think that's what the Pac-12 is doing right here. Yeah, I would think so. And then you also want a process for how to deal with that when it does. So... Kudos to the Pac-12 for that, um, I will say. So, I haven't seen any other conference lay it out that clearly. So maybe I missed something from from anybody else. But like genuinely, I, I do think this this was a really really encouraging step from the Pac-12 specifically. West Coast, best coast, baby. <laughs> hey, the Pac-12's gotten a lot of stick from a lot of different places. So you know, when when they do pick up. And 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 do something that I think is genuinely a good move. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him credit. Ivy League West. If Ivy League West is gonna do something smart, this, this is, is the thing. time to do yeah. it. So, <laughs> just gonna say, uh, like like this is the the field of expertise in the Pac-12. This and water polo. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like and beach volleyball. Yes. Uh, it's called sand volleyball. Sand, sand volleyball. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, a uh, couple little news nuggets before we get to our main segment or our main discussion topic, which is really going to go off the rails here. Uh, USC got a new commitment from Saia Mapakayotolo, who committed on May 22nd. Did I get okay. that right? Okay. This is how I think it's said, and we're going to, as always, if we find a different way to say it, we're going to adjust. But I love typing this kid's name. It's a great typed name, like Stevie Tuakolavatu. It's a little bit intimidating, but once you get it down, I think we, I think we can all do this. So, Saia Mapakaitolo or Saia Mapakaitolo. All right. So, Mapakaitolo. I think that's the one because... The the Polynesian names usually every, every don't skip a, a, vowel a vowel, yeah, and break it up into two letter chunks. So ma pa kai ma pa ka it ah ma pa ka it olo ito. Let's go ito ma pa ka itolo ma pa ka da ma pa ka ah. I'm throwing an L in there. All right, all right. we're just gonna move on. Uh. The the 48th ranked <laughs> offensive tackle in the class, 50th ranked California com, uh, recruit, 555th nationally uh, out of uh, Bishop Alamany, six foot five, 280 pounds. Uh, another lineman who kind of fits the bill for what USC wants to do for offensive linemen. Yes, it's another three star. Insert your three star rant there. But this is what USC is recruiting. Uh, for offensive linemen. So, uh, 
there clearly is a style and a physical, um, you know, frame that they're going after, and this is it. Six foot five, two hundred eighty pounds. Yeah, and again, he's another one we've talked in the past about uh, Mason Murphy and and um, Maximus Gibbs, the other offensive lineman USC has committed. And again, it's a situation where these are among the top offensive linemen from the state of California. So they're not elite national prospects by any stretch, and we wouldn't try to sugarcoat it by saying that they are, but they are the guys in USC's backyard that they really should be picking up and uh, strengthening their depth and strengthening their their recruiting ties. Um, It's worth noting that this kid is from Alamany, Alamany, uh, Bishop Alamany High School, um, which is my brother's alma mater. Uh, he is uh, is a, a program that USC has a lot of investment in at the moment. They're trying to get Miller Moss. They have uh, uh, the the linebacker for um, next year whose name is even more difficult to pronounce, so I won't even try to butcher it. Um, but USC has some guys, there, there's a wide receiver too that they're going after from Alamany. So getting another foothold into Alamany at this exact moment is is a good thing. So uh, again, recruiting is complex. It's not just about this is a three-star kid. Uh, this is a three-star kid with the size you want, with the development potential you want, who's in your backyard, who can help you recruit other kids as well. And you need all the offensive linemen you can get. So in, in that sense, like, again, uh, trust me, there, there I, I have another thing that we can scoff about, about USC and offensive line recruiting that I can bring up momentarily. But when it comes to this individual prospect, there are definite uh, plus sides to to his recruitment and, and certainly not something to scoff or roll your eyes at when it comes to adding him specifically. Uh, best Alamany Trojan of late, by the way. Who would you say? Best there's, there's only one person that comes to mind. Who from Alamany has come to USC? Stephen Mitchell. Stephen Mitchell was from Alamany, okay. My mom used to teach at Alamany. My uh, my One of my brothers went to Alamany and then my mom moved to Notre Dame and that's how we all ended up being Knights instead of... You mean Irish? Knights. Irish. Knights. It's the same Knights. thing. I think also Alamany is now... I think they're like the Warriors now. They changed their name because when I, when when I was associated with Alamany, it was uh, a different name that was, I guess, slightly more complicated, uh, controversial. Um, sure. Like Stanford's old name, but... Um, Either way, either way, Alamany is an interesting uh, interesting place right now because of Miller Mouse and all those guys. Now, if we want to get critical of USC recruiting, there are things to get critical about USC recruiting that have very little to do with Tolo, as I'm going to start calling him until I figure Tolo? out... Tolo? Tolo. Let's just call him Tolo. Uh, that what about big, big Map? Big, big Map. Okay, let's go. Big Map. I like it. Big Map uh, is... Uh, I, I, I think USC should be happy to have him in, in the fold, but USC... Should also be looking around at the other offensive linemen that they aren't landing and, and be slightly concerned. Um, I bring this up specifically because over the last couple of weeks, Oregon has landed the commitments of Bram Walden and Jonah Miller, uh, both guys out of Arizona, uh, your neck of the woods, Michael, normally. And these are the elite offensive line prospects that USC is missing out on, as opposed to like, don't get mad at the local guys that USC is bringing in, get mad at the guys that USC is failing to bring in that are a little bit more elite, but not from the backyard. So Bram Walden is a four-star offensive tackle, number uh, 85 nationally, according to 24-7 Sports. Jonah Miller is from uh, Tucson. He is 267th nationally, also a four-star. Uh, so, like, 
those guys, it should be worrying that Oregon is is winning those recruiting battles. It should be worrying that Oregon continues to just chug along as as bringing in top 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 tier offensive linemen. Um, so like that's something to continue to watch for this this class where USC is picking up a lot of ground in recruiting, but you got to start picking it up on the offensive line too. Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's talk about transfers. Jack Sears, Boise State. Clayton Bradley, UNLV. Elijah Weaver. Dayton. Dayton. Couldn't think of that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's basketball. It's okay. Um, I have one thing to say about the transfers, aside from good luck to you all. I am really relieved that Jack Sears is transferring to Boise State. Like, or he was committed to to uh, San, Diego, San State. Diego State briefly, and like that was like, okay, good, good on you. If Jack Sears had ended up in a power five program, the narrative around Jack Sears' like performance relative to anything that went to USC or ir- irrespective of what was going on at USC, I just I, I I don't have the patience for it. So him going to Boise State means he's in the G five. He's in a position to potentially succeed at a good program in the G five, and I would like to see him succeed. But also like. He's. I. I doubt he's going to do anything that's going to cause us to have a lot of discussions about Jack Sears going forward. I find the the thing very fascinating that he goes to Boise State, who has Hank Backmeyer coming off of a pretty solid freshman season. So it's not like he's walking into a job where it's his as the front runner. He's going to have to fight for it. Um, which is interesting, considering what you look at from last year with with Matt Fink. Matt Fink thought that he could go out and and find a starting job somewhere. He couldn't. Uh, he was he committed to to Illinois, and then it was probably looking like he wasn't going to get that job either. He was going to have to compete for that job, and then he comes back, and you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, kind of deal. And maybe that's the same, the same for for Jack Sears. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, I just think it's going to be interesting for, for him because if he can't beat out Hank, Hank Backmeyer, then he's in a situation that he was similarly uh, at USC, though Hank Backmeyer did have injury issues uh, last year as a freshman for the Broncos, uh, despite uh, in his first game beating Florida State in Tallahassee, even though uh, Florida State was not good last year. But, yeah. Uh, anyways, l- let's take a quick break, come back, and get to our uh, our discussion segment, in-, in which a genie comes to visit you to talk about USC football. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll be right back. That quarantine content. I got the idea of a genie coming to you and granting you three wishes. Three separate wishes, by the way. Very separate. So we're we're not going to imagine that these are three wishes that happen uh, concurrently. Does that make sense? They're like alternate universe wishes? Yes. They're, they're three separate situations. Um, but the reason I got this was because uh, over on com this week, you had written... Uh, USC's living dream team coaching staff, and which was very interesting. A lot of arguments for and against your picks. Um, you want to you want to walk through your 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 dream coaching staff of of coaches and and talk about who makes this thing like like what the criteria is. 
Yeah, okay. So so the first and most important thing is the coaches have to have coached at USC before. So it's like if it's not like, well, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer and and Dabo Swinney and Brent Venables are suddenly all all on right. the same staff um with Ed Orgeron and and you know all and Bill Belichick. Like it's not like that. It's ever, they have to have coached at USC before and they have to be alive and um sort of in coaching shape. So um, there oh, so was no no Charlie Weiss. Well, no Charlie Weiss. Yes, but like I mean that was a factor for you know on offense. I went with Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator instead of Norm Chow, just because Lane Kiffin I think is a more competent offensive coordinator right now than Norm Chow is. And this was uh, some feedback we got from somebody is like, how did you not put Hudson Hawk? And is like, well, I mean he's been retired for almost a decade, so I mean yeah, I went I went with Pat Rule, but. I mean, you could make the argument. It's just at the same time, a dude who's been retired for ten years. Maybe I'm not going to go in that direction. Right. Um, although theoretically, be, someone who could get hired now. Yes, who could who could get hired now. Now, granted, Hudson Hawk might still be the best offensive line coach that USC would have available to them. That's that. I am entirely willing to hear that that uh, argument. But at the same time, you know, I was trying to go f- towards uh, more recency bias a little bit here. So. Right. Obviously, head coach Pete Carroll. So the defensive coordinator was Dwayne Walker, who was a, a one-time assistant of Pete Carroll's at USC's. Um, defensive line coach, easy, Ed Orgeron. Um, you go linebackers coach, Kent Norton, who's currently the DC at, at in Seattle, which I didn't realize until I started researching that. And then DB's coach, uh, Chris Richard, who is a controversial figure because Cowboys fans hate him after he uh, had a hand in their defense over the last couple of years. But still, uh, a, a guy that I think his association with the Legion of Boom makes him valuable as far as uh, compiling the staff. Um, then on offense, Lane Kiffin is the offensive coordinator. Uh, Pat Rule is the offensive line coach. Uh, T. Martin as the wide receivers coach. Dylan McCullough as the running backs coach. Graham Harrell as the quarterbacks coach. And I went out of left field. Johnny Nansen as the tight ends slash special teams coordinator, just because I couldn't in good conscience put John Baxter as the special teams coordinator. I just, I just couldn't do it. I, so it, he it, was great at one time, but like, I just yeah. couldn't, it's too soon. It's, it's too soon. It, it's difficult. I mean, we, we got a tweet on, on Reign of Troy from, from Pete Arbogast, the voice of the Trojans, who said that he liked the list, but he would have gone with, with Norm Chow as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Baxter for special teams and McNair for running backs. And I got to like, I think he's right that, you know, Dale McCullough, uh, he's the, the guy everyone loves, but like, you can absolutely make an argument for, for M- Todd McNair. You, you could make an argument for Todd McNair <laughs> aside from the giant, uh, problematic pie that comes with, with Todd McNair. But, I'm here for it. I, I think, think it's FC a perfectly, fans would rally around. Yeah, I think it's there. a perfectly reasonable choice. Absolutely. Yes. I have and a personal affinity for for Dylan McCullough. I accept that. Sure. That, that you're biased. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm quite yeah. biased on yeah. that front. But, but yeah, Todd McNair's a, a decent one to throw out there. But Baxter is probably the right pick if you think about it. All things considered, if you took the last two years and burned them from my memory, I could easily put John Baxter. Yes, easily. but the last two years do exist. The, right? Yes. The Norm Chow thing, it's Norm Chow if we're talking about all-time form. Cir- yeah, circa 2000. If, if we're talking about everyone at their at their peak, 
then yeah, you have Norm Chow in there overlaying Kiffin, you know, no doubt. But this isn't this isn't at their peak. It's what what they could do right now. Um, and it's Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator. Like it, it's maybe you can make an argument for Graham Harrell as early as next season. But it as of right now, it's it's Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Well, and 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 again, Norm Chow. If you could take the last you know, 15 years off of Norm Chow's resume, then maybe, yes, you can definitely go with... I mean, his offenses struggled at UCLA, UCLA. and Utah, and Hawaii. Yeah, they were... They the were XFL, but... Not great. Yeah. yeah. But, but but yeah, I think, either way, it's a, it was a, it was an interesting premise to talk about the, the dream team USC coaching staff, um, something that Lane Kiffin tried to assemble himself. Uh, by the way, uh... Kennedy Polamalu, another guy who could, you can have at, at running back coach as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so this got me to thinking about dream things. So I've created three situations. I'm going to ask you these questions. I've come up with my own answers, but but I, I want to hear your thoughts. First one: A genie grants you a life swap, aka the opportunity to swap rosters and/or coaches with anyone in America. It comes with consequences. For instance, you can swap USC's roster or coaching staff, either or, with a top five team in the final AP poll from last year. LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon. But you have to automatically start the season with an 0-2 record going into week one. Do so, you do it? So basically, you're taking yourself out of the the playoff discussion, or or or, the or you're allowing yourself to in, in a perfect scenario, in, in the the perfectest of the perfect scenario, and let's say that you you swapped uh, coaching staffs with Clemson's, and you have Clemson's coaching staff coaching USC's roster. Yeah, you're you are making the argument that they have to be so impressive and run the table. To get to the playoff. Yeah. Or I get to start the season with the current staff, the current roster, and they start zero, you know, O and O and can potentially, you know, in theory, win 12 games. So scenario one, you swap USC's roster or coaching staff with a top five team and you start O and two. O and two before week one. So you still have to play Alabama, FYI. Yeah. Uh, scenario two, you can swap roster, just roster, with a team that ranked 6th to 15th in the final AP poll of last year. Florida, Oklahoma, Alabama, Penn State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Baylor, Auburn, or Iowa. But you automatically start the season 0-1 going into week one. Do you do it? And then there's scenario three. You can swap coaches with any of the remaining teams ranked 25 to 16. Utah, Memphis, Michigan, App State, Navy, Cincinnati, Air Force, Boise State, UCF, and Texas. You can swap coaches with any of those programs, but you automatically start the conference season 0-1 before facing Stanford in Week 3. Okay, I'll answer that last one first, which is a no. So, so the the way I look at this is, it isn't either or. It's you. If you would, you take any of them? Would I take any of them? 
Um, well, I definitely wouldn't take that last one. Because okay. I'll take my chances with Graham Harrell, and I'm intrigued enough by the defensive staff to see them through. Like, I, uh, that that's intriguing enough to me. So, so in other words, switching to, say, you know, Utah's in there, right? Like, yeah, Kyle Whittingham's staff, would I would I be interested to see what he could do with USC's talent? Absolutely, that sure, would be a very interesting. But it's not experiment. worth the conference loss. No, it's. I don't think it's worth the conference loss, especially when I I do think that Graham Harrell and Todd Orlando could win the Pac-12 for USC. Like I, I think this is a possibility. Okay. So uh, I would rather go with that. Um, okay. So you would not do scenario. Three. I would not do scenario three. Scenario two. Um, Swapping rosters. Teams rank six to fifteenth, but you start zero and one, just rosters. See, in in this case, again, I would swap if I had to swap. I would swap with Alabama. But if you're telling me I have to be start zero and you one, you still have Clay Helton to and begin you're with. You're starting zero and one. Yeah, you're still starting zero and one. So like, I think that you're not really changing your equation that much. Um. You're taking the roster from a a, a, a roster to an A plus. Yeah, sure. because that's that's the thing is that like okay, Alabama. I think I would of all of those teams, Alabama and maybe Oklahoma are the ones that I would like consider if I was going to take yes. this option. But maybe, like maybe Penn State also. Yeah. Uh, nah. Um, personally, nah. But like at the same time, yeah. The same questions that currently permeate this current roster would exist with those rosters. Right. Um, you would just sort of maybe get proof of, of, of a few more things if, if you did that. But, like, again, I don't think your equation changes enough when you when you are already 0-1 and you're still going to have to play, play Alabama with USC's roster. Right. That, so, was, that like, was my thought. Yeah. Uh, so I would go no on that one. The one that I'm really intrigued by is number one. And I think if I were, if I had to choose one of these, it would probably be number one and it would be the coaches. And it would be the Clemson coaching staff um, going into the season 0-2 with 12 games to, to do something with USC's roster. I think that would be very fascinating, especially because you and I both agree the outcome of this season has much more to do with and we say this, I feel like, every year, but it has much more to do with how you play than what the results of those games are. So, like, if USC is going to lose to Alabama one way or the other, if, if you know, Dabo Swinney and, and, and Brett Venables and all of those guys can get USC to a, you know, a, a 35-33 loss to, to Alabama, that's a better feeling than... The you know then then an you'd, alternative you'd be zero and three but you would feel very good for the rest of the season yeah right like I'd take those three losses if it, if if Clemson's coaching staff did with USC's talent what I think that Clemson's coaching staff could do with USC's talent like so yeah I, I think scenario one's the one that I take and yeah I, and I I take Clemson's coaching staff because I don't think there's a chance USC wins a national title in 2020. I think there's a very good chance SC wins the Pac-12. Yes. Clemson, now, maybe this is the argument not to do it, but I think that if you have Clemson's coaching staff, they could, I, I like. I think that it's, like, right. what's SC's chance of winning the Pac-12 right now? 30%, 35%? 
35% chance. I think it might be lower than that because organs is pretty high. But, but we'll say we'll yeah. just say 30%. Yeah. You put USC, the current talent, with Clemson's coaching staff. Like, it, it bumps Clemson, up to like 80%, Clemson's right? coaching staff could beat Alabama. One hundred percent with SC's talent. Yeah. Yes. So like, I, I don't think you're taking yourself out of the playoff contention necessarily w- straight off the bat. Now, wouldn't you have it to be fascinating game. to be like, you know, in this in this weird twisted, a, you a know, two loss USC, yeah. who's a Pac-12 champion who beat Alabama, I think could potentially get into the playoff. Like the the discussion would be. There. I mean, Colin Howard would be talking about it forever. Yes. He'd be putting SC in the playoff. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you obviously need things to play out in other you, conferences. You still got to go up to Eugene. Well, no, but I'm saying, like, if let's say they run the table and they're 12 and two going into playoff selection time. Right. A 12 and two USC team in this context, or it's, I guess it would be fif- 13 and two. Yeah, 13 they, and two. A weird, the Pac- weird record. For weird, sure. weird record for sure. But like. If you're the playoff committee in this weird hypothetical, like not realistic <laughs> scenario, like, and you're looking at it, do you not put USC in the playoff? Like, I think you might be willing to put USC in the playoff. It depends on like, do you have like fifty thousand one loss teams? Right. Sure. Then you're in trouble. But who knows? Yeah. The, the way I look at it is this: I, I think that the 2020 season, I think, is going to be fascinating. Um, I, I think it'll be fun to watch. Strictly because SC has literally nothing to lose. Uh, Clay Elton has been a dead man walking for a long time. Uh, we all know this. Um, SC has a lot of talent, particularly um, on defense right now. When you look at you know the the front seven and and you know even even the back seven when you talk about uh, Hufanga and and IPM and you know at linebacker you've got Naoteote and can he can he get back to the level that everyone expected him to? And you've got Drake Jackson, and you've got uh, Tufele, and all those guys on the defensive line. That there's talent there to be interesting. And this team, we, we've said it before, like we, we they're probably a nine-win team, but who knows? They have a ceiling that could get higher. Um, they have a ceiling that's, pro- I mean, a floor that's like a seven-win team, right? A six-seven-win team if everything goes terribly, um, and and they coach. Um, they they underachieve because of their coaching, right? So, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see what this team is, and I'm super excited to see what what it is because it could be anything. At the same point, the only thing that would be more fascinating is this hodgepodge Clemson coaching staff with USC's talent. That's the only thing more that would be more fascinating to me. That's it. Maybe Ohio State's coaching staff, but mostly Clemson. Yeah, you could make the case for Ohio State for sure. But I would basically just pick Clemson because that means I get Brett Benables. And yeah, and Ohio State's had a lot of brain drain. Yes, of, exactly. Of so, exactly. Yeah, I, it would it would be it would be fascinating. So okay, that that's genie visit number one. A, a second genie comes to you, and and this is a completely different reality, by the way. So pretend that you did not make a decision on the first one. Uh, And a genie comes to you and says, I have changed the NCAA rules in college football to work like Olympic soccer. Every team in college football is now allowed three overage players. 
Three, that eligibility does not count for. Who should the Trojans suit up in 2020 as overage players? Three players in 2020. Who are you picking? Um, so overage meaning that they will have expired their... Uh, no eligibility. Eligibility Correct. issue. Okay. So I'm grabbing Leonard Williams. Okay. You're, you're going to go... I probably should have wrote this down. Uh, so you're going um, completely fantasy island in the fantasy land in the sense that you would like have Leonard turn, turn down the NFL. Oh, are you saying that like guy? Okay, so I was you, you want most, me to be realistic? With I was my thinking genie. realistic, but okay, you, you, go 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 with Leonard Williams. Go with it. <laughs> I mean, you're asking me about a genie, and you want oh, no, me to be I know, realistic? I know, I know, I know. All right, I'll give you a realistic three and a and a unrealistic three. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I go with uh, Leonard Williams, and I go with um, Matt Khalil still playing football? Yep. Yeah, I go with Matt. No, no, no. No, he retired, right? No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. It's okay. I go Tyron Smith. Uh, Tyron Smith, uh, uh, Leonard Williams, and... Hmm. Who do I... Okay, so my immediate thought was I want to strengthen the linebackers. But what linebacker do I bring in? Uh, and then you could you could just go with the simple answer of like bring back Adori because Adori would be you know super fun in this in this right. on this team. Um, actually, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll go with Adori. You bring back Adori. Yeah, I vehemently disagree with your answers here. What would you do? Not that those players wouldn't be fun to watch, obviously. I know that they weren't great players and they wouldn't be great players on this team, but like you have to solve the problems that USC USC's roster has. Okay. There's no offensive line and quarterback. Why are you going to bring back Adori? Because well, Adori was the only one that would be. This is fun. Okay. Fair. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's go Matt Khalil and Tyron Smith then. See that I think I, I think that would be that would make more <laughs> Matt sense. Matt Khalil, Tyron Smith, and Leonard Williams. Okay, all right. My, okay. my here were my three. Can I can I get my realistic ones? Yeah, give me your realistic you go? ones. Go, okay, go Sua Cravens. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, that's he's obvious. Yeah, one hundred percent. Sua Cravens. Um, you go like Vianne Talamavai, Talamavau. Okay. Um, because I'm thinking like I need offensive linemen who are reliable, but who aren't in the NFL right now. And if you like told Vianna you can play again, I think he would take it. He'd suit up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Michael Hutchings. Huh. Okay. I think I go realistically. Sewer Cravens. Matt Khalil, I think he just retired from the NFL. I'm not imagining that. You want to fact check me for a I'm, second? I'm gonna I'm gonna fact check you right now. Okay, I think he just retired from the NFL, but I think in this alternate reality, he'd be like, I'd play for free for who knows, maybe not. But um, I'm gonna say Matt Khalil. So he was released by the Texans last September. Uh huh. And I believe he's just out of the league. Matt Khalil, then. Matt Khalil, 
Stuart Cravens, and do I pick another lineman, or do I go for a middle linebacker? The problem is, like, I think you could go a middle linebacker, but what if Nauteote actually turns yeah turns into the superstar you always thought he would? And what if Solo, like, takes yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm almost willing to just take that gamble anyways. And so you go with Sewer Cravens, and he can be used any sorts of different ways. I think he'd be really interesting in this defense that's going to be flexible, especially with how they use safeties. So... That's going to be fascinating to see what he can do at linebacker slash safety, whatnot. Uh, you use Matt Khalil, and then the last pick, Vianney. Yeah, I mean, he's there. You, you, yeah, you, you he's a reliable guard. You wouldn't have to worry about yeah. what's going on at your guard position. Yeah, you, you, you go with Vianney and, and, and Matt Khalil uh, to bolster your offensive line, which is the biggest question mark. Yes. And I, I, I feel mostly confident in the rest of USC's roster that that would be the realistic sense of where you'd go. Yeah, if you could pick one position to upgrade at USC for the 2020 season that would demonstrably improve their chances of competing for the playoff, it's the offensive line, and it's not even close. Uh, Say hypothetically that this was a a rule that you could have designated overage players who got paid. What would their... um, what what would their salary look like? <laughs> That's above my pay grade, buddy. <laughs> I got, I got no clue. Uh, okay, all right. What's uh, Vianney's salary as a uh, as a GA? As a GA. I, I do, do GAs do get the, paid? I have no idea. You'd think they would. Like TAs get paid. Yeah, they probably get paid what a TA gets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I assume it'd be it'd be similar to that. Uh, okay, last one. Scenario three. Another genie comes to you. Completely different genie on a different day, and a different world. And grants you the ability to have one USC football player return to the team with a clean bill of health to play out the time missed due to injury. Who do you choose? Keep in mind, this would mean getting two more games of Matt Barkley, 16 of Fort Augustine, or four full seasons of Frankie Telford. Um, give me Port Augustine. Because I, I really think... Well, okay. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm shocked Hold because on. I there was a very obvious one I that you would I just remembered the obvious the, one that the, I need to be, take. There would be one of two that it's, I thought okay. you would take. Okay. Realistic, realistic, you take Port Augustine because I think you genuinely can put wins on the table for USC if Port Augustine is healthy for those 16 games. But my answer is Trey Madden. And then we're which having... Is, which is just selfish. Well, it's very selfish. We're at USC's running back. Yeah, U- like, USC like, had... Why do you need anybody else? Yeah, no. The, <laughs> USC got along fine. I mean, they missed Trey Madden, certainly, but they got along fine without him. But yeah, give me Trey Madden. Absolutely. But uh, the real answer is, is, is probably Port Augustine. I was trying to think of, like, who's the offensive lineman that you, that you like, bring back? That would have gotten hurt? Yeah, like I was maybe thinking, like, that's when you say Vianney and you you get those those eight games that he missed or, in, or, uh, in in twenty seventeen. Or do you go like someone like at a left field like Jordan Simmons? You could do Jordan Simmons, who's like proven to be a a, sure. a, 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 a an NFL level player. Roster player, yeah, yeah. But he just had the the major injury problems at USC, so like maybe he's the guy. But it's go that's, with Toa. That's, 
He missed a couple seasons. That's a that's a bigger maybe, I think, than Porter. I, I like I genuinely think that you, you Porter would be a but monster. By the way, there's there's one clear answer, by the way. Who am I missing? Anthony Munoz. Oh well <laughs> Well, I don't know if you want to bring Anthony Munoz back like old Anthony Munoz. Not sure, that he's old, but, but but he's in a clean bill of health though. Like yeah. I'm I'm sure he, he could he, oh, he could block. What if you give Talano Hafanga the rest of Oh, you of just his, extend his you eligibility? You just extend his eligibility and you guarantee he doesn't leave Do for you, the NFL. You you have to guarantee he doesn't leave for the NFL. guarantee he doesn't leave for the NFL. That might work. Yeah. That might work. Uh, other good options there, uh, I, I would say Herschel Dennis, but again, you go back to, does SC need a running back? Probably not. So it, it's got to be probably an offensive lineman. Um Hey, Tony Baselli. <laughs> we're talking. Baselli. We're talking NFL. NFL injury history, less USC injury. No, he he did miss a. He missed a season in yeah. SC. Give him, give him, give him an opportunity. But again, do you want like Tony Tony Baselli as is <laughs> on your offensive line? Like, I don't know if that's. I I think it, this genie has the ability to use a, a time warper. And um Oh well, you get them at their prime, then absolutely you take yeah, Anthony Munoz. Like <laughs> I don't think you get them at their prime, you get them at what they would have been at, at no, USC. When they when 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 they got injured. You're just replacing those healthy Gotcha th- th- those unhealthy seasons. Yeah. Games, whatever. What if you did Carson Palmer? Again, you don't need him because you, you got Yeah, but but Keaton. you're talking about sophomore year. The sophomore year Carson, Carson Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. Mm, probably not. Yeah. I take Keaton. Hmm. Yeah. Just saying. All right. Uh, <laughs> the weird hypotheticals for the for today. Yeah, no kidding. Um, by the way, uh, we have obtained a copy of NCAA Football 14, the video game, in the studio. We've been playing it. It is insanely... It just makes me happy. Oh, it, it is... It's like going back in time. It, it gives you the, 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 the good feeling inside. So it, you know those commercials where um, the snowman comes in and he starts eating the Campbell's soup and then he melts away into the kid? No, that sounds utterly horrific. You've never seen those? I've never seen that. That sounds like the premise of a horror film, Michael. What? <laughs> really? Really. This sounds, like, terrifying. Am I imagining that? Like, am I you, misremembering I mean, the God, commercials? God, I hope you're imagining I'm gonna, a commercial I'm gonna look this up. Is it, where is... a snowman comes in and eats the Campbell soup and then melts onto the child. <laughs> no, but it's supposed to be like a figure of speech. Like, this kid was so, like, frozen that he now he ate the Campbell soup and he, he got, you know. Oh, so it was a child who who got turned into a snowman. Yeah. And ate the Campbell soup that's, and returned to his. That's not, not how you described it. But I think that's what it is. Anyways, the point is, it's that feeling when you got that Campbell soup, mm-mm, good, like going down your esophagus. That's mm-hmm. like when you're running that speed option, baby. Back when uh, when football video games were about having fun and not about proving that you have the you know uh, skills of an actual NFL quarterback to know how to read a defense precisely and deliverable, like. Madden is just Madden is like a flight simulator. 
Like, I'm not playing a video game to be able to, like, do a flight simulator level. That's stressful. Except there's still problems with the flight simulator. It's, it's like, you know, the, the guy who just won the, the, the Madden Bowl thing was using a backup punter and never ran a passing play. That, yeah. That's like flying around the, the world on flight simulator, the video game, in, like, a, uh, a 727 that doesn't have that, that range. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So NCAA was just back. It was just fun. It was fun to play football. And yeah, it, you did need to know a little bit about the defense and about the offense and all those kinds of things, but you could just have fun with it. Like, so the reason I bring this up is we downloaded the the rosters for 2019. There's amazing people who, who go through and do the roster updates still to this day. They really are, are, the the you know you got first responders and then those guys yes like in the list of people that we need to like be praising you know, yes yeah yeah we need a Except, we need a national day for uh, roster updaters yeah but yeah. one major issue w- one okay and I'm gonna I'm gonna I know the issue you're gonna bring up and it is a glaring 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 issue but I will cut them some slack. They're updating every roster across no, I the country. Get, I get it. I get it. But I understand how they got this stat so wrong is pretty incredible because the first thing when you look up this player, the first thing you learn about him is the thing that you're about to complain about. So, go. Now, I, I understand how this happens. I get it. They got a hard job. There's thousands of players they have to update. But Keenan Kristen having an 86 speed, laughable. Outrageous. Laughable. Laughable. So, I immediately went in there and like made it 96. Yeah. The first thing that, that, that we did was we looked and, and your first words were, what's Velas's speed at? And we checked. It was like... 94. It was 94. And so then you, you run, swapped over to the running backs. And I was looking at the top of the thing going like, lol, Vi Malapai has faster is a faster listed speed than Stephen Carr, uh, which is questionable in and of itself. Although I'm Vi's my dude, so I'm not going to argue it too much. And then you spied down below, like, Keenan Kristen, 86? What? And I chimed in as well. What? No. Yeah. So, uh, between fixing that and winning Dominic Davis, the, the, the Heisman Trophy, I've got my work set out on fixing this game. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to start up a dynasty in this game. You can change the uh, conferences. So I want to set up a dynasty where I go full-blown reorganization um, and I'm going to institute my own version, uh, um, if I can, of relegation and, uh, and uh, um, uh, promotion, right. if I can. I'm going to see if I, I'm, I'm curious to see if it'll let me. Uh, or, or if I'm going to have to sort of like restart a campaign every year. Right. But that's that's how I think I'm going to do it. Any hoozle. That's going to wrap up this episode. We've got a couple of voicemails. we got one from Superfig. We've got one from Michael in Idaho. Uh, we are going to put those in a mailbag episode. We just need more mailbaggy things. Fill up our mailbag by emailing us at com and giving us your calls at 213-373-1-USC-SECOWITZ-PRUNCHO. Yeah, dial in right now to do that. Uh, and then we'll put together a mailbag episode and throw it to you later this week. So go, go, go. 
hit us with those questions. Uh, until then, uh, we will see you, and thanks for listening. As always, Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is genie, as in genies in bottles granting wishes are cool, and I wish they were real. I'm a genie in the bottle. You me the right way. Talk about an overrated singer, by the way. Do, 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 do. She's so overrated. Uh, say what now? Overrated. But say what now? Alright, well, we'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.